Hey guys, Matt Gurney here for episode three of the Lines Experimental Podcast. We're still tinkering, we're still learning. The one thing we tried this week, and it's new, and you may be relieved, you may be upset, we kept it shorter this time. We did a long one last week. This time we're trying something shorter. It's about half an hour, so we hope you enjoy it. Stay tuned right now for the third episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Um, we apologize for getting this late to you. Uh, my fault. I had social commitments on Friday, so we're actually recording this thing Saturday morning, which we might actually make more of a habit of. Um, we might, um, we're just tinkering with our workflow. We might start doing the video after we write the dispatch instead of the other way around. But it doesn't matter. Let's, let's start talking media here for a second. You and I, Jen, are not experts in TV media. Uh, we've both done television. We've both worked in it, but like we're not professionals in it. And we're also not experts in the American media landscape. But this week, CNN Plus, which the company had spent $300 million, that's from the Wall Street Journal um, preparing, with a staff of 700, like a large Canadian newspaper these days might be a couple hundred people. I would say- most Is that- most daily metros are in the dozens. So CNN yeah. Plus had 700 people, 300 million had been spent on it. Three quarters of a billion were budgeted to be spent on it in coming years. S 700 people would be like uh, the equivalent of a third of all people who work in journal, in media in Canada. That, that you know what? That sounds about right to me, actually. I'm, I'm yeah. not yeah. sure what the numbers are, but that actually sounds about right. It launched a few weeks ago, and they're shutting it down at the end of the month. Now, th there's two possible... Uh... Is, that, is that one of your kids singing? Yes, yes. No, that's, that's, just, that's just domestic, that's just, uh, domestic background noise. You should, just, you should just sort of clip that and make that the opening music for our podcast yeah. now. It's great. All right. CNN Plus, two issues. One, Corporate ownership change. The new guys, uh, Warner Media, inherited CNN Plus. They already have their own streaming app program, and I think they just weren't interested in, in having a CNN one. The other thing, apparently, is the fact that it was not performing. And you know, if there was any chance that you know the new owners who come in, they buy it from the old. Wait a minute. No, I'm wrong. The old owners, Warner Media, created CNN Plus. The new owners, Discovery Inc already have their their own app and weren't that interested in cnn plus cnn plus's only chance to survive the corporate ownership change was to just knock it out of the park a soft opening probably doomed it so so well here's here's two questions here one is like i'm getting lots of shades of star touch with this well, well yeah the, the the future the future of 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 uh, uh cnn isn't going to be in traditional blah 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 blah, blah. we're going to salvage our declining legacy um, brand by by creating by putting up some new innovative internet model with by people and especially only older executives who don't really understand the internet very well or how people are consuming media. What shit is CNN Plus? Because I didn't even think I didn't even know this thing existed. So can you please just explain to me what CNN Plus actually was? I mean, I can tell you what I've read about it. I never looked at it, but I can tell you what CNN Plus wasn't, which is probably more relevant here. It was not an app that would stream CNN content. It was not like the app version of whatever's on CNN on TV. It was all CNN branded or CNN licensed. Like some of it was original content. Some of it was stuff they were licensing. 
but it was like long form interview shows. Chris Wallace, ex of Fox News was part of this. Um, and it was all going to be like, you know, documentary stuff, newsy coverage, but it was not going to just be whatever they were showing on TV live because they have non-compete agreements with the U.S. television distributors. So any TV a carrier, satellite or, or cable in the United States that carries CNN has a non-compete with CNN itself. So CNN is actually legally forbidden from putting CNN content on its own app. And so it has so that, to go that out. just that just sounds like a bad like that that was the point at which you had to scrap this like this wasn't going to work because the only way to do that would be to complete would be to create a completely parallel newsroom structure which is what they the were resource doing. And, yeah but the resource intensive yeah with the resource it would have been way too resource intensive to actually do especially now that we're moving into an era where like the idea was this an app was CNN plus an yeah. app. Yeah, it was, okay, it was so an like, app or a streaming server. I, I, like, I don't, nobody I don't know nobody exactly should happened, be but. investing like that kind of money in an app at this point because that's just not there are too few people want to be tied to a particular ecosystem in an app, like a like a like a like a what's the word I'm looking at? like like walled garden kind of ecosystem space. You know, so here's CNN has been my oh my god, something terrible has happened go to. Um, like if there's word of like a war or a horrible natural disaster or a terror attack or something, I'll put on CNN. But we changed our cable package up uh, about a year ago uh, during the pandemic, because even when we were stuck at home all the time, we were realizing we were barely watching cable. So we cut our cable down to the bare minimum. And, you know, I, I need I need to watch Leafs like that. That's basically what I need. So it's bare minimum plus Leafs. I looked at getting CNN and it would have been like an extra seven or eight bucks just as an add on channel. And I went, you know what? It's not worth it. I don't watch it enough. And especially during the pandemic, even like newsworthy events like press conferences, large events, these things are just streamed on YouTube now. I got through. Yeah, the usually entire... they're, they're streamed by the organization that's doing the press conference. Include, like, I mean, I watched uh, during the pandemic, especially during the, the really nasty periods, I would watch the uh, Government of Ontario Daily Health Update on YouTube. And the Government of Ontario set up a YouTube channel that just showed us the content. So I think you're onto something. What you said a few minutes ago, I think completely checks out, which is that older media executives think, well, if we're doing it online, it has to be new. And I think it's a failure of imagination because I don't think, and I, I, I wrote about this in our dispatch, the, the media's, the traditional media's economic model has been destroyed. That needs to be reinvented. We need to reinvent the entire business side of journalism but people like the content like newspapers are hundreds of years old the the content in them has is been time honed to be the mix of entertainment news and opinion that people like television news radio news these are things that have been around radio news almost a century i don't know why people think if you have to reinvent the economic model we also have to reimagine the content no Start it's i i, I think I think you're I think you're missing the uh, the the problem here, and that is this is where you talk about media older media executives and where their sort of um, uh, uh, biases and blind spots come into play when they start thinking about how to reimagine their 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 model for digital. They are um, attached to this idea still that they're going to get up in the morning, they're going to take their branded outlet, their Globe and Mail, their, their Toronto Star, and they're going to have a personal attachment to the brand itself. And you're going to go through that single branded content. And this is why 
the app model was so attractive to older media executives because it was a way that they could replicate the, the walled garden experience of yep. a newspaper. And this is why they all got into, thought that iPads were the future, yep. the Star Touches were the future, the pluses were the future, because this replicated their relationship that they had to the brand, yep. right? What they don't understand is that for anybody under, I would say the age of 40 at this point, that's not how we consume news. No, we, we, we graze have, at a buffet of information. We graze at a buffet of information. We are not attached to the brand in the same way that they were. And our approach to news is, is much more like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm interested in this topic. So I'm going to go look at eight different news sources on this particular topic with no with no particular attachment to any of the particular brands behind them. And, and it's just a totally different approach to consuming news. Our, our emotional connections to the particular brands um, are formed in a very different way. I actually think that we're more dependent on um, personality-driven um, uh, uh, attachments as a result. We stay on our podcast. Still, yeah, we our, our podcast. People really like personalities. People are like, I trust that. I trust that columnist yeah. to tell me what's what. Uh, but and I hate that columnist. But it's not it, the the attachment to the brand just isn't the same. So um, that and that is the problem. So when you're trying to replicate that sort of uh, late Gen X boomer kind of um, walled garden experience, it doesn't. It does not translate, and it isn't going to translate. And that that is fundamentally the problem that we're running into. It's funny. Um, I guess this was last year. I was chatting with someone in the neighborhood who's um, we, we kind of know through the social grapevine, and they were telling me, "Matt, love your columns. Always read you. Love everything you do." And they mentioned some of my recent columns, and they were that there was yeah. I mean, this is all the stuff I've been writing about recently. So they were not just blowing smoke at my bottom here. They had obviously been reading what I was doing lately. And then they said to me, "You're the reason I read the Globe and Mail." And for for those who do not recall my column is in the national post. So it speaks to your point. They yeah. knew me, yeah. but they, in their brain, the, the brand was wrong. So there's yeah. someone out and there. This is, and, and this is why you're never going to get rid of columnists and op-eds, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. I think, you know, I think you're right. But I also just think on top of that, there's this desire that it, since we're, we're changing the news, let's change the content. Like let's, Let's have yeah. different kinds of stories. Let's let's present the stories differently. What I would crave, and an iPad, I actually think is a really good device to do it on because um, you just a few days ago discovered for the first time, and you've known me for like ten years that I that I wear contact lenses because I actually have my glasses yes. on for a day, and you were blown like, away. What? So when I do like, a lot of reading, like a nerd. I, I, I like to do heavy reading in the morning or at night after I've taken my contact lenses out. And I like to have something that is comfortable to read on. So an iPad or a tablet of some kind. All yep. I have ever wanted is a reasonably user-friendly recreation of a newspaper in an electronic device where I can make the text bigger. Like, yep. I like the way newspapers are laid out. I like the way they're organized. The important stuff's in the front. You, then you move through sections of, here's my national news. Here's my- That's also why know. old people like the iPad because you can make text bigger. That's why old <laughs> people and people with lousy vision like the iPad. <laughs> uh, I, and I think like we, we mentioned in the written dispatch, uh, Post Media 2.0. You and I were both at Post Media at the time. You and I were yeah. not involved in, in 2.0 in the design phase, but certainly we were getting the briefings on it. There was a lot of this talk at the time, and Star Touch, I think, was kind of similar, which is since we have this newfangled iPad device, 
for for uh, post media it was a, a multi-platform strategy print website uh, mobile device and a uh, tablet since we have all these new technologies we have to think of new ways of of telling stories and new ways of of doing the news and i was thinking even then but do we but like do we though but like i mean can't we just keep writing exactly what we're doing keep up the same kind of stuff the same kind of stories the same kind of opinion all that good stuff but use the new technology to deliver that stuff I, I guess not and i think cnn instead of figuring out a way to charge six bucks a month on an app to show cnn which i actually pro may, maybe would have would have i would have bought that yeah that would have yeah, like, been a great deal spend six bucks a month to see long form chris wallace interviews I like Chris Wallace. I like him a lot. I think he's going to have no problem finding new employment in traditional CNN. But we do have to reinvent the economic model. We don't have to reinvent the rest of the wheel. And I think media executives don't really get that. All right. I want to hand this over to you. I've talked enough about okay. this one. You were looking at online harms legislation. Uh, are the, li the liberals actually finally backing off on this one a bit? Yes, they are. So this is uh, uh, our, our sainted uh, Michael Geist, uh, blessings upon his head, because he really is like the guy in Canada, absolutely keeping an eye on what the hell the government is doing with internet legislation in a very detailed way. And as far as I know, he's really the only guy who does it. Like he does and does it in a, in a very detailed and systematic way. Um, so I want, he, I want to say something about that in a minute, but you finish first. I want to come back ooh, to that, but go yes, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's really online, online uh, legislations are really complicated. Um, the CRTC is very complicated. It's really hard to keep track of what the heck changes to some of this legislation is. I mean, I've tried reading the Broadcast Act three times. It's inscrutable as far as I can tell. Like, it, like how the CRTC functions is at this point kind of inscrutable. Bluntly, I think we need to blow up the Broadcast Act and just rewrite that entire thing for the, the internet age because, and I'm not even sure that the, that the, internet, that the Broadcast Act has any um, morally or philosophically justifiable jurisdiction over the internet period like you know what I mean like like we we, we need to just re, like step back and reapproach this but guys to his to his uh, credit is really passionate about this and I don't know what we will do um, if he ever decides to get bored and moves on to another topic because he really is the guy on this um, so he uh, was uh, uh, following the government's online harm legislation. So this was the government's attempt before the before the election to deal with misinformation, terrorism, hate speech, blah, 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 blah. And everybody who has any value or respect for censorship and free speech issues went, whoa, like government, how exactly are you going to regulate the internet for any of this with the understanding that we already have criminal prohibitions on things like terrorism and hate speech. Like we already have, we, we don't need you to regulate the internet to, to, to manage this. We literally already have laws against hate speech in this country, like, like, and people go to jail for that. Like, like, what are you doing here? And on top of that, we also have the human rights tribunals and all sorts of things like that, which, which have a tendency to get a little bit, um, how shall I say this, uh, batshit, uh, as we we've seen in We also have laws years. against harassment. Like it's not we just have laws against harassment. Yes, harassment. and 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 we, we talked about this back when back when journalists were getting yep. harassed by the by the Bernier trolls. Is like we don't need new laws to stop no. this. You we need, need to enforce the have. laws that you have, yeah. right? And and you know if if you really want to crack down on some of this stuff, why don't you show some commitment to that instead of 
creating new laws and new regulatory loopholes, um, you know, just, just, just to resource your law enforcement staff appropriately so that they can crack down on stuff that, 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 that has already proven to be an issue. We already have laws against child porn. We already have laws against all of this. We know this is bad. So anyway, the Law Online Harms Act was, was um, replicative in that sense. Like it was, it was trying to crack down on the stuff at its source. And um, the way that they were going to go about structuring this was like to create like a, a, like a, like a bad internet commissioner. <laughs> like it was just, it was, it was just classic top-down government going to fix this approach to, to um, a really pernicious problem. And it was ridiculous, stupid overreach. It was a free speech absolute nightmare. Um, there was no way that they could do this without making severe um, crackdowns on, 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 on how Canadians approach um, free speech online. And Geist was, was just brutal about this. Now, to the government's credit, they did hold a consultation process in all of this. They did invite tons and tons of people to consult almost all of them were just scathingly negative. And like the sort of people who you would generally expect to be pro um, uh, more government regulation all came out from like Jewish Congress to like the National Canadian Congress to like the, 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 the uh, organizations representing LGBTQ2 people to like even like the child anti-child porn people were like, whoa, guys, like yeah. this, is, this is kind of stupid. And uh, Geist to his credit, filed a FOIP request to get all of these submissions that he could actually read them, read them because in our, yeah. yeah, freedom of information. Because in our ridiculous uh, governmental system, which actually isn't inherently open or transparent at all, they hadn't been made public proactively, which is insane. Like all of those submissions should have been proactively public. The most scathing of them he identified was one written by Michelle Austin, who was working for, for Twitter. And she did like this seven page critique that was like, this is how countries like China and North Korea approach internet regulation, you dipshits. Um, she didn't say not dipshits, I said quote, dipshits. I'm not an, it's not an exact quote, but it should have been. And this is apparently what, what caused the government to go, okay, maybe we've overstepped in some places. Um, but anyway, Geis, and Geis makes this point in his, in his uh, uh, podcast, in his blog, and we linked to it in our dispatch. And he says, look, the fact that the government wasn't even proactively making these submissions public, and I had to A-tip them in the first place, like that, that should be a red flag for you right off the bat. This is not a government that is going to approach internet regulation in a way that's, that's straightforward, open, and transparent. Like they, this government does not have the philosophical, intellectual, or even just material firepower yeah. to do the things it's claiming to do. It just doesn't. You were so, talking a couple minutes ago about how the Broadcast Act is like just completely inscrutable. Everything yeah. the liberals were proposing to create to regulate online harms would have completely replicated the yeah. walled garden bureaucracy that is that the Broadcast Act established to, to run our our electromagnetic uh, TV, radio, and, and now internet um, broadcasters. Like it, you would have well, had. That's, but, but that's still still is, and, and that stuff's all still in play with C10 with C11. Yeah, well, like like it's it's just it's it's bananas. It really is bananas, and it's and I just again. Down. It's the top-down structure that it got us yeah. to where we are with the Broadcast Act today that probably does need to blow up. And I, I say this as a guy, just for disclosure, I am regulated under the Broadcast Act because I host a radio show on Sirius XM, which even though we use a completely different broadcast technology, we're still captured by the Broadcast Act because the government said so. So I, I agree with you entirely about all of this. You and I wrote this during um, the, the Ottawa crisis as well about the Emergencies Act. 
I would have an open mind to someone explaining to me that we need specialized legislation to tackle the, the problems evolving in, in the world of, of internet-based communication. I'm not saying I'd buy it, but I'd have an open mind to it in the same way that I had an open mind to using the Emergencies Act. The problem is no one has yet made a convincing case to me that we need new powers on top of the ones we already have. And the further problem is that I specifically do not trust the current government in Ottawa to handle these issues. These guys have figured out the performative part of politics way better than the practical element of governing. I don't like those incentives when I'm handing over the goddamn internet to them. I'm sorry, I'm just not not comfortable with that. And and also their instincts every single time. I mean, Look, look, I I don't want to fall into the trap of being like, these people are dictators, these people are totalitarian. Oh no, they mean very well. that's, that's, That's an extreme version of this. But their impulse is always to go to... The big committee in Ottawa. Their impulse is to go to a centralized, top-down regulatory approach. That impulse is always the Prime Minister's office and how they run their own government. Yeah. The impulse is, is to create a more centralized, less free um, kind of approach to, to, to a crisis. Whether ever it's less the, transparent, the Emergencies ever Act, more... ever less transparent, ever more centralized, ever more... like. And this is this is I mean this is why Paul Ever is 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 Paul Ever. I'm keep on saying this is why he's doing so well because people can sense this. Like like, oh, do I think that these guys are trying to create like an actual totalitarian autocracy? No, but are are are, are do they seem to have that tendency within them that they think that 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 federal government is good and can fix all of these problems because they're really well intentioned? Yes. Do I think that that's going to create uh, 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 unintended side effects within society? Yes. Do I think they're actually competent to do the things that they want to do? No. And so do I think that like a lot of peers appeal when he says something like, I want to run a government that gives you control of your life back? Do I understand where he's coming from? Yes. yes. Yeah. So like, like that's that's the point. And, and like, like these internet harms bills are perfect examples of, of the, the, the worst tendencies of the liberal government. They, they, they believe themselves to be so well-intentioned that they don't think it's possible for them to be doing the things that they're actually doing. Well, that's it's, yeah, that's what Chris Selly said years ago, right? Liberals are the kind of yeah. people who would never believe they are capable of doing the thing they are actually doing at that exact moment. And it's a sincere right. belief. They sincerely yeah. believe they're not the kind of people who would do what they're doing at that precise moment in time. Related to all of this is what I wanted to say at the beginning, because you mentioned how Geist is like the only guy in Canada who knows this stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to bog this down. We're doing a tight little po- uh, podcast video today. We're we're much more dismal because I gotta go. I got an appointment in the afternoon. Yeah. But are you ever alarmed by how many public policy areas in Canada have like one person? One guy. Yeah, it's one guy. Sometimes it's a couple, but yeah. I mean, <clears throat> go to ex. I've been writing a lot about gun control this week. Go to experts for gun control. There's like five. I'm probably. And you're one of them, by the way. Yeah. On, on national defense and security, there's probably like 20. And if I make that list, I would be like low in it because we actually have some very good academics and journalists who specialize on that stuff full time. Canada, like the actual level of intellectual expertise in this country, we've got a ton of experts, but we typically only have a couple in every given area. So you talk about the gatekeepers. That's part of how it comes from, right? When there's only one person in the country who understands this stuff, what the, they they wield well and and, and 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 bluntly on some topics the the talent's real thin 
like you may, we may say we have 20 experts on uh, international affairs. How many of them are good? Well, the problem is there's only 19 people who could actually judge that. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Um, uh, anyway. Rolling on, because this is actually a logical trend, uh, pivot point. You were talking about uh, Polyev a minute ago. We're talking about experts as well. We didn't plan this transition. Uh, to be honest, we could not have made this a smoother topic transition. Let's oh, talk about brilliant. inflation. And we were planning on mentioning, we were thinking earlier, we might talk a little bit about the, the Polyev campaign, but we decided now we'll keep it tight. We'll keep it terse. We, we'll do three topics instead of like a billion. But... Polyev has been railing against uh, what he's been calling the gatekeepers, which I think is political. Like, his campaign so far is clever. Like, I, I think these yeah. guys are running a very good campaign. Gatekeepers seems to be a more benign way of saying the elites and yeah. he's going after the elite gatekeepers. And you and I were, no were just noting, and we like a lot of these people. We know a lot of these people we're about to talk about. We've relied on them. And, and so yeah. they need to we rely talk on to them. them. But we've got to talk about the fact that okay, so let's, a, year, well, let's, a year ago, if you would have asked these experts, is Canada going to have inflation? And the answer is going to be no. No, well, we're was, facing a deflationary spiral. We need to pump more money into the system as fast as possible. That, no, that was what they were saying a year ago. Literally, that was what they were saying a year ago. I remember. And then it became, there's not going to be inflation. There wasn't inflation after 2008. There won't be inflation now. Then it became, okay, there's going to be a little bit of inflation, but it's going to be brief. And then it became, okay, it's going to be more inflation than we thought, but it's going to be transitory. It, and it's, it's transitory and it's all related to the, the supply chain problems. Don't worry, this is just a temporary blip. The experts were wrong. And you and I months Wrong, ago, wrong, 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 we were, wrong, wrong, wrong. We were saying months ago, okay, but the problem is all throughout the pandemic, We've had experts telling us that the risk to Canada is low, and then boom, two-year pandemic. And then we had people, experts in the middle, telling us if we don't shut down everything in the next three days, we're going to have thirty thousand dead. And then, like three weeks later, like that wave eases. We are every in the single moment. model model negative and opt and pessimistic has been wrong, every single one. And not and you can't even claim well it would have been right if we hadn't shut everything down because they were because because all of these models made predictions with lockdowns and 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 restrictive measures and like okay if we do restrictive measures it'll be the green line and they were still all, like the actual outcomes were still well below the worst case scenarios and then in alberta you had oh the pandemic's over their models were showing like 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 transmission had ended back in april of 2020 wrong like models have been i don't think that there's been a single model that has come out that has been accurate like it's it, every single one's wrong, and yet every single time we get some new catastrophic model, everybody panics. It's it, it it it's crazy making. It's absolutely fucking crazy making for me at this point because nobody actually calls the model makers to account. But that's a totally different side issue because we're talking about how the experts in oh, and then masking. Masking is was the classic one, right? Anyway, um, oh, yeah. we were talking about don't wear masks. We don't wear masks. Don't, don't wear, wear masks. masks. Everybody masks. masks. Yeah, masks, masks are uh, masks will actually make you sicker because it'll give you a false sense of security. And then like the more. and then of course masking probably did have a, a, a positive impact on alpha and delta. But when we're talking about Omicron, a, a version of the of, of of the virus that is so much more 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 transmissible, masks probably aren't doing you very much good. So like wrong everybody goes wrong everybody got it wrong <laughs> like everybody got something wrong like everybody's got something over the last two years wrong i thought that for example lockdowns were, were, were we were going to see a huge spike in suicides i was like oh man like the suicide rate's going to go up 
totally wrong. Suicide rates actually went down. Nobody knows why, like it just happened. Um, Overdose rates did go up, but I mean, like, you know, like everybody got stuff badly wrong. All of the smart people got things wrong. And the the problem- We got stuff wrong. You and I have both had- Yeah, you and I got stuff wrong. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely we did. Um, But that's, that's to be expected at this point. But anyway, but so when when you have Pierre Polyev going up and saying that the Bank of Canada is quote unquote financially illiterate and people checking Pierre rightly for that kind of incendiary populist language and saying, okay, so what's your answer, uh, Pierre? Are you going to like, are you going to yeah. bring the, the, the independent bank under your control? Like, like, you know, like, 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 like yeah, like, like he's, he's engaging in, in very incendiary language. But let's also recognize that the Bank of Canada has been fucking wrong. <laughs> It's been so wrong, you know. Literally, Stephen Pelosi in his in his last speech, um, before he left the his role as governor of Canada, was was talking about how we needed to pump a bunch of cash into the into the um uh, uh money supply because if we didn't, we were looking at a huge deflationary spiral. The experts were talking about how the housing prices were about to just totally and utterly collapse, and so we needed to keep the interest rates really low, otherwise, otherwise, you know, Canadians were going to lose all their income. They were like, yes, we did manage to avoid the deflationary spiral. We sure and did. Now we're looking at like, oh yeah, we sure fucking did. The house house prices didn't collapse. They 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 went to absolute historic highs, which people I'm, thought were actually impossible two years I'm ago. Probably like probably on paper four hundred grand richer than I was for two years ago, just by virtue of not having sold my house. Yeah, like it's just it's been wild. So like. It, it, while we are totally right to condemn Pierre for using this kind of populist language, let's also acknowledge that the experts have been wrong, 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 and wrong again. And if you want to know why people are connecting to this populist energy, it's because the same experts who were wrong and wrong and wrong again have failed to acknowledge their mistakes. Yeah. They don't come out and be like, yep, we were wrong. This is why we were wrong. And this is how we're going to course correct. And they show just a total lack of humbleness in terms of their policy prescriptions. And people and, are and reacting also, to that. People are reacting to that. And we don't like, we don't trust these people anymore. And, and it's just, why, why would we? You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. It's very possible that inflation in two months totally collapses. It's also possible that we're looking at a long-term systemic sort of a 1970s inflationary spiral and that you know what the shit ton of money you pumped into the money supply might have a factor it might have a play in, in all of this like we don't know we literally don't know and let's just admit we don't know and, and admit that we were wrong when we when, when 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 we figure out that we are and and move on right because nobody can know I anyway think i'm well, sorry that's my rant that's no my on rant. top of no i agree with it but on top of that i would add the virtue of saying you don't know is not just humility and humility is good humility matters humility helps keep us honest and like i said i've gotten stuff wrong in the last few years and i eat humble pie and i end up a better journalist for it but actually it matters in in real terms in a different way we'll take inflation as an example just as an example when the overriding assumption among all the experts was that it wasn't going to happen no one was thinking about what we would need to do if it did happen when you're more open to the possibility that it might it's easier to have conversations about what to do if it does. You don't draw up contingencies for the scenarios you are convinced will not happen. 
And even if you're some guy or, 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 or woman, I'll be gender inclusive here, who's part of the, the Bank of Canada uh, modeling team, even if you're starting to think, yeah, you know what, I think we might start to get inflation here. If the overwhelming consensus among the experts is that either it won't happen or it'll happen, it'll be minor. Okay, it won't be minor, but it'll be brief. Oh, okay, it won't be minor or brief. It's going to be huge and sustained. Ah, panic. You have to have an environment where people are comfortable raising worst case scenarios where to go okay mm -hmm. but what if we draw the lousy 10 percent? what if we get the bad roll of the dice here i think elite consensus or sorry gatekeeper consensus stifles our ability to be open-minded to threats that might be coming and that's why we get totally caught by surprise with them part of me wonders if the reason all the public health experts in positions of authority were telling us the risk to Canada was low, long after the general public had reached the opposite conclusion and was raiding Costco for toilet paper, was because they had no contingency plans in place to announce to the public and they wanted to keep everybody calm or they frantically came up with something that they should have started working on two months earlier. I don't know, yeah, speculation, I don't but know. I wonder. We're going to find out um, after all of those same public health experts get orders of Canada, I'm sure. Um, anyway, uh, well, I got. that's all I got. All right. Well, again, folks, uh, apologies for this one uh, being out late. Again, my fault. Uh, normally, we would do this work on a Friday evening, but I needed Friday evening off. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. We already have, what, three pieces lined up for next week, so we're off to a strong start. Oh, yeah. We're, 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 uh, the content is just rolling in. I've got to start writing more, though. I, I don't know what to write. I've been kind of, like, flat lately. I don't know. Tired. That's okay. We have long COVID. You have long COVID? I, 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 think, I think you have long motherhood. Your children are... <laughs> I yeah, don't... The, 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 these parasites, they just they just don't go away no matter what I do. Let me tell I don't you. I don't remember about two years after my son was born. My son's my younger kid. I remember like my daughter's first few months in like impeccable detail, all the cute little memories. I vaguely recall when we added a second kid. And then a couple of years later, it's like when when he began sleeping through the night, I started to remember stuff again. So yeah, yeah no, I feel you. All right. Well, look, uh, we got a few pieces in hand. Jen will write some more. Hopefully she'll get a nap in this weekend. Uh, thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you're uh, checking out the podcast version, we'll talk to you soon. Well, folks, that was it. A more terse, more tight, but we hope still worthwhile line podcast, experimental podcast. That was episode three from Matt Gurney and Jen Gerson. We hope you have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back with you soon. Take care.